Fox, 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 wake up. The podcast is at Grandma's. Made Mary. <coughs> oh, what happened? I, the last thing I remember is watching a movie. <laughs> oh no, is this the Disney animated cannonball? This is the Disney animated cannonball. The podcast where I make you watch every Disney animated canon movie, even the one for the tiniest of little babyest preschoolers. <laughs> You're really regretting that now, aren't you? Oh, <laughs> I, Fox Lee, she, her, am regret this. I tell Lee, he, him, am angry about this. I could have spent this time having a nap. <laughs> oh, that sounds lovely. I could have had a hot bath. It's very cold tonight. All right, well, let's fly through this and see if we've still got time. We watched 1977's The Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh. That is correct. Which is one of the many videos you will find on Disney Plus if you type Winnie the Pooh. Uh, you will, in fact, be drowned in options and have to pick through them one by one. Most of them do have really generic titles, don't they? Yeah. Adventures of Winnie the Pooh, New Adventures of Winnie the Pooh, Winnie the Pooh's Great Adventures. I would like to point out, that though, that this one is a fucking lie. <laughs> ah, you've already taken one of my note cards, which just <laughs> simply says, I'm not sure you can call these adventures. Now... Tragically, it is my turn for the plot in 60 seconds. Hey, I'm gonna... I'll, I'll take this burden if you want, but... I'm gonna do it in five. All right. Nothing fucking happens. <laughs> yeah, so this was boring. This was a fantastically dull movie. I realize this movie is for, like, toddler-level children. And I'm sure that's why it came out the same year as something else. But like, my god, I don't know why this is on the animated canon list. This, why? This? This? We couldn't miss out on Winnie the Pooh? This movie uh, was part of a double feature. This movie was distributed to cinemas for an afternoon and evening distribution. This was not aimed at preschoolers, Fox. This was aimed at a general children's audience. Now, <laughs> it looks like preschooler stuff. Well, I mean, Christopher Robin himself is preschool-aged, according to the narrative of this movie. So, I'm not saying that means it's only for preschoolers, mm. but I assume it's pitching to that level. I have it in my head that he was nine. I mean, he doesn't act like a preschooler. Mm, but he acts like a profoundly bland, but, you know, at least capable of stringing four or five sentences together child. Yep. Still, do you have a pre-existing relationship to this movie, Fox? Oh god, no. Well, I actually, no. That's not entirely true. Okay, this is one of the canon that- one of the two- wait, no, everybody missed the toad. One of the three that I have not seen in full. Um, but, storybook. I also feel that missing this one in your uh, pre-existing canon viewing- is it's well no i'm not i'm not trying to make a joke about quality i feel like this one got kind of like built in like a window box like it came out in the same year as another movie and it, it is very different in tone and texture it's short like i can understand someone missing it because they might just go like well that's not even but what we got was barely the minimum quantity of what you could consider movie product this is not unlike the wartime disney movies uh, just something that I would not have realized was supposed to be one of their, like, flagship line of feature-length fe feature animated films if I didn't know the official list. Like, this 
There's no way I would have gone, oh yeah, can't leave out Winnie the Pooh from that list. Completely honestly, I would genuinely have preferred to watch one of those short wartime films than this. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Because at least there's a novelty there to get angry at. I guess. I mean, okay, I like this definitely less than Ichabod and Mr. Toad. The Wind in the Willows bit was the most interesting thing I think we got out of any of those uh, two-parters and or Fantasia at Home movies. And I do like the music in Saludos Amigos. Yeah, that's fair. They got some good songs. It's just, you know, awful rapey duck. (laughs) Uh, That's Three Caballeros. Oh, yes, sorry. I, they're two very different films, Talon. How could you not have noticed? Yeah, well, it's the music from uh, from Three Caballeros that I was thinking about. <laughs> I, I I genuinely like that ditty. I like the uh, I I like the line three uh, or three happy chappies with snappy serappies. I think that's cute. Yeah, yeah. We are now how many minutes into this movie, and we aren't talking about this movie. Talking about another movie. All right. Well, look, the way out is through. <sighs> So I'll, I'll finish that thought uh, in terms of uh, we did have a storybook version of this, which I am certain contained at least the trying to get Tigger lost in the woods and Tigger stuck in a tree chapters. And I think the rest of it as well. And perhaps my only interesting note on this entire movie is that I remember that so clearly because the book uses the book assets from the movie yeah because they already exist yeah (laughs) Uh, and like those exact same illustrations and a lot of those exact same phrases even though there were obviously way fewer words than there were in the book that they use in the movie ah this is too many inception yeah perception i don't like it what's your pre-existing relationship with this movie nothing right that's what i thought dick nothing Look, this is not one that everyone's parents went out of their way to make sure they got to see. And I hadn't read the uh, original book either. Like, Winnie the Pooh is the kind of thing that my family probably would have thought was quite wholesome. Yeah, you're right. That's unusual for you. (laughs) I've read Wind in the Willows. Haven't read Winnie the Pooh. Shrug. No badges in Winnie the Pooh. Mm. Oh, oh, trust me. We're going to get there when we start making comparisons (laughs) to Winnie the Pooh. I've got a note for that too. Maybe we'll leave that till the end. We- That's a secret note that'll be useful later. <laughs> On the other hand, most of what I took down for this movie is no better than whatever land content because there's nothing. We we tried to work out what would be our meaty topic for the the central content of this podcast, but there is no meat on this film. This no. is five short stories for babies. Yep. Now, uh, still. The lack of substance doesn't mean that we need to have a lack of structure. No, it's true. And what do we begin with? We begin with after the double take. Uh, yeah, I don't got none of that. I ain't seen this before. I figured. Uh, the yikes door. Did we find any yikes in this? It's... I failed to detect anything I, I would really consider yikes. So, like, it is fat phobic in, like... Ah, well, yeah, okay. Whose love of food is shown as, like, making him a problem and a burden to his friends around him. But also, the original title for the Yikes Door was Product of Its Time, and we're <laughs> still just as fatphobic and still just as awful, and probably worse. Yeah, that's true, actually. Like, fatphobic content... Uh, well, fat is hilarious. Fat is to be made fun of, is... Like, really prominent in these old movies, but that's not really something that we frown upon now, the way that, yeah. you know, the Indians from Peter Pan are. Or... Yeah, we've gotten better at pointing at homophobia, racism, and sexism. 
we haven't <laughs> really gotten any better on fat phobia. Yeah, we really haven't. And also, Pooh is an asshole, so... Yeah, that's the other thing. <laughs> I... I guess the big yikes would be, these characters are all meant to be friends. <laughs> they're all... I mean, they're simplistically drawn, I guess, but, like, as an adult, I don't know why you would like any of these in a way that you would want to present to your children. Yeah, they're they're all thoughtless, inconsiderate, occasionally mean-spirited, lying, deceitful little clods. Well, okay, uh, Kangaroo and Rue yeah. are, are perfectly nice. I mean, Kanga's just someone's mom. She well, doesn't have an abundance of personality. And then you get one drop of yikes, which is the only presence of woman in this entire thing, is someone's it's mom true. who isn't involved in anything except fixing problems. It's but, true. Eh. Well, also in this story, if you're not causing problems, you're fixing problems. Like, yeah. it's somebody fucks up, everybody else has to solve it in just very slow and boring ways. Boop, 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 Eyelash watch. Kanga has three eyelashes. There are no other women in this movie, so we can't say if it's a gender-divided trait. But none of the boys got any, so eh. Boop, 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 boop. That was eyelash watch. Boop, 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 boop. Swaggle watch. Yeah, th- this movie is nicely animated. It's they're not trying as hard as they have in some of our other recent entries. No, well, I feel that there was a lot of trying with the integration with the prop at the start, like the showing of the book opening and the fact that they didn't do what they usually did. Like even just in Robin Hood, they did a screen wipe to get onto the animated version of the book, whereas this, that's that's very clearly footage that they have animated over. That is true, and the recurring book gags are probably the cutest and most interesting part of this movie, at least as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Like, at first I was like, oh, oh, no, I do not miss the era of Disney narrators. Uh, but then, I, you know, they actually used it for some cute stuff, like referencing page numbers and, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, having you doing some cute wordplay, you know, the, his bottom was on the top of page whatever. And, yeah. Like, it was cute. It was funny. It was the jokes I liked best in this movie, which is not saying much. Mm-hmm. But we're here to talk about Swaggles, so I'm going to note at least one Swaggle out of Owl, yep. which was the first one I spotted when he was... Uh, Puffing himself up around the gopher. The gopher almost does one, but he doesn't really turn and wiggle. Yeah, there were a lot of nearly swaggles is what I noticed. Because I think that's just how they're animating characters who are, well, highly animated Mm -hmm. at this point. But most of them did not go all the way. Even on Tigger, who definitely gave us a couple of real swaggles. Yeah. Most of the time he just goes back and forth or up and down. But rarely swivels and pivots. That is Swaggle Watch. (laughs) So I have some other notes on the making of this movie. Oh, please. Because we're we're digging for scraps here. We may as well talk about any other technical stuff we can here because it's not like we have a, a, a main content for this. Christopher Robin has three voice actors. I was going to say, are we going to talk voice actors? Because that's the, the most of what I noted down. Uh, for starters, is, is more than one of those actors actually English? Uh, well, the first one, Bruce Reitherman, is American. He's the direct, he's the voice director's son. Yeah, I definitely detected at least one child pretending to have an English accent. The other two, however, I cannot say. They are John Walmsley and Timothy Turner. And I didn't bother looking up anything about them. (laughs) Okay. This is also the very last, no really, actually mean it for this time, movie Disney worked on. Oh, what's he credited with in this one? Because it may not surprise you that this movie is in fact made up of 
four short movies that they were working on. It never got released, but he did do a bunch of the designs and he invented one of the characters. One of the characters in this is not from the original A.A. Milne story. Would you like to guess? It's Tigger, right? No. It's not Tigger? No. Okay. I just thought Tigger's kind of the most fun, so he was probably added in later. This character was introduced because Disney wanted an all-American character that could appeal to the children and add an element of comedy. It's the gopher. Oh, sorry. Yeah, okay. I wasn't even thinking of the gopher really being a character. (laughs) Wow. Good one, Disney. I sure wanted to hear the whistling bucktooth guy from Lady and the Tramp back again for like 20 straight minutes this time. To make union jokes. Mm. We have another instance of an iconic voice. Uh, This is Eeyore's voice. Uh, Very distinctive, very low. That's a bloke by the name of Ralph Wright. Uh, Ralph Wright was the storyboard artist and animator of Eeyore. Yeah, that explains a lot. Uh Uh-huh. Honestly, I put a note down for just how surprised I was at his voice, because, like, I'm I'm not a Pooh fan, right? (laughs) I wasn't attached to these characters or anything. But it's hard to not have some image of these characters in your head, right? They're pretty Mm. pervasive. And when I thought of Eeyore, I just thought of someone with more personality to them. Yeah. Like, I get he's supposed to be mopey and gloomy, but... I kind of imagined he'd be into the mopey and gloomy thing a little bit. Yeah. But his delivery is just, like, completely monotone. Mm-hmm. It's, like, enough to be kind of displeasing, even if you like the character idea. <laughs> just some guy, I guess. Tigger is voiced by friend of the podcast and racist cat impersonator, Paul Winchell, medical hero. The hot guy again? Yeah. Tigger invented the mechanical heart. Yep. Gotcha. Yep. That he must have gone to school. Yeah, eventually. <laughs> and uh, the like of all the characters in this movie, most of them are just people who basically turned up in the Disney stable and remained doing <laughs> just these characters for the rest of their career. Do we have any other points of connection for Kanga's voice? Because she sounds exactly <sighs> like Lady. Uh, so no, she's not Lady's voice. Nor any of the fairies? No. But what's notable is Kanga has two voice actresses. Ah, okay. Yeah. In uh, this. In this. Not just in the future, because yeah. obviously these characters have been redone a few times since this depiction. That's one of the things that's amazing, in that, think about how much dialogue Christopher Robin has. <laughs> think about just how much anything Christopher Robin has, and think about the fact that they needed three voice actors for this guy. Yeah, well, if they made, if this wasn't a project with a, like, an upfront timeline, and if it was made of bits and pieces that they'd done previously. Yeah. Like, that makes a lot of sense in that context. And of all the voice cast, aside from those long-standing mainstays, you have Rue. Rue is voiced by a guy called Clinton Engel Howard. So he's not just a recurring child from Aristocats and or Robin Hood? No, he wasn't in Aristocats. Oh. Uh, he is the younger brother of Ron Howard. Oh, that Ron Howard. This is the opening introductory paragraph to his Wikipedia page. Clinton Engel Howard, born April 20th, 1959, is an American actor. He is the second son born to American actors Rance and Gene Howard and younger brother of actor and director Ron Howard. Clint has over 200 acting credits, appearing in feature films including The Waterboy and Apollo 13, as well as playing characters on television such as Mark Wedlow in Gentle Ben, Stanley on The Baileys of Balboa, Steve on The Cowboys, and as Creepy Rodney in My Name is Earl. He has appeared in many films directed by his brother Ron and had a small role in Walt Disney Pictures' The Jungle Book. Clint was also the lead singer and frontman of his band, The Kempsters, and recently has found success in his pursuit of making custom snow globes. All right. Not as surprising as Mechanical Heart, but still uh, a curveball, yes. 
Granted. <laughs> and we are so desperate for content that I just read a paragraph from Wikipedia. <laughs> uh, I just want to add on to that. Who named a child Rance? <laughs> to, be, to be fair, that was like in the 1920s. Rance! <laughs> we had we had actors like named Isolde and stuff. Was, you know, this, this is a different time. It was a That's century a ago. That's a lovely name. Yes, That's it's just... Welsh. But it's also not a very dude name. I don't support giving dudes very dude names, frankly. That's true. But yeah, uh, so... So tell me this, though. Do we not see Piglet in other things? I swear I've heard this voice many a time. You have Just in... always Piglet? Okay, so everything in your lifetime is Piglet. Like, once he got into the Piglet role, he was Piglet. But this guy was a sitcom actor from the 60s and 70s who did a bunch of a very timid, very nervous, mawkish kind of characters. He was in the movie 12 Angry Men. Like, definitely important kind of character actor. Um, and the most interesting trivia I have about him is that he and Tigger's voice actor, uh, Winchell, died one day apart from one another. But All right. this guy's mostly just been Piglet. Must just be the memory of that character voice is so prominent. Yeah. Uh, he passed away in 1983. So he was... Like, yeah. gone by the time we were watching Saturday Disney and might have seen other Piglet. So I consumed his life force, is what you said. Yes, what I'm saying is that he died that you might live. Okay. Piglet is Jesus. Piglet is Jesus. That's fine, everyone in this movie is fucked up. So, I kid you not, we are almost at the end of my notes. Alright, well I got a big chunk of whatever land, so if you like I can just bring them up one by one, and we'll talk as much as we want to about any of them. But before I go into that, I have... A sort of grand thesis. I would like you, Foxley, to juxtapose this classic British children's story about a collection of animals who are slightly stupid and how it was meant to be informative and healing and, he and connecting to children that is I'm then Americanized by Walt Disney to make it so it's an image that he owns and he controls to our own iconic example of slightly stupid folk hero animal. I'm just going to put down a note card here and then I'm going to have Talon verify that I was rifling through my notes for this when he started speaking and he will read it and tell me if I was right. The muddle-headed wombat would roll this jerkwad. <laughs> I think I got it. You did. You did. That is in fact my entirety of my grand thesis. Uh, so, hey, Fox, what's the muddle-headed wombat? The muddle-headed wombat is everything Winnie the Pooh wishes it was. It's a story <laughs> about a lovely good boy who is also extremely round. <laughs> and thick. <laughs> and thick as a plank, yes. Uh, who has a variety of misadventures caused by the fact that he is very thick, uh, along with his dear friends, uh, Tabby, the fock-coated cat, and Mouse, the non-binary icon of our childhoods. No kidding. This is this is not uh, this is not us doing a bit. Mouse... No, and this is not Mouse's uh, is you know never identified or or whatever. This is not some uh, corner case. Mouse's gender is it. Yeah, and it is asked at one point in the story, uh, "Is Mouse a boy and a girl?" And the response is, "Mouse is a mouse." So like. This is this is a children's series from Australia. I don't have all of the uh, the credits off the top of my head. I wrote an article on my blog about the muddle-headed wombat last year after we read the books aloud to my relatives. The upfronts are that it was written by Ruth Park, but yeah. it was also heavily influenced by 
uh, three ABC radio performers who yes. uh, did it as a radio play from its earliest incarnation, which she then reworked into a bunch of storybooks. Yes, with some beautiful illustrations who's... By Noella Young. Noella Young, thank I gotcha. you. Thank you. Because, like, I, it, it would be shameful to not remember that, and unfortunately <laughs> I am shamed. It would. They're a really important part of the books. Watching Winnie the Pooh and comparing it in my head to the muddle-headed wombat, they are both stories about a slightly stupid protagonist character who's meant to be cuddleable and approachable to the audience character, the audience perspective. They are friendly, they are nice, they are occasionally, you know, hurtful and occasionally rude. But in the case of Winnie the Pooh in this movie, I never get any inkling that he is aware that he has a negative impact on anyone around him and doesn't care. No, it's amazing how, like, these friends all cause problems for one another, and that's where our quote-unquote plots come from. But no one notices that they have wronged someone else. Yeah. No one notices that they have a, you know, a personal habit or something that that hurt one of their friends or made everyone have to go and take care of them when they wanted to be doing other things. Or Yeah. No, nobody has any self-awareness in the, this movie. Just, just a classic example of the dynamic, which you're going to see like repeated throughout other iterations of Winnie the Pooh, is Rabbit is straight-laced and Tigger is free-spirited. And the way that they represent that in this is Tigger wrecks a bunch of stuff that Rabbit was working on. And by contrast, Rabbit literally conspires to terrify Tigger. Yes. Uh, Tigger thoughtlessly causes destruction. Rabbit's response is to try and crush Tigger's spirit forever. Yeah, which has some real conversion therapy vibes, by the way. Yeah, that was uncomfortable on the, on the, uh, real, you know what, there's my double take. <laughs> Trying to get Tigger lost in the woods so his personality is permanently scarred. Yeah. Is, uh, that's got some uncomfortable parallels. Yeah, and I mean, it's just an extension of the punitive management of children that was very acceptable yeah. in the 50s and hopefully going out by the 70s, but probably not. Probably not. It's scared straight, basically. Yeah. Essentially. And, For whatever value of straight has applications. And that sucks. Um, so what I recommend is really, genuinely and sincere, sincerely, I recommend if you have someone young in your life that you want to introduce to a funny animal story, go get them the muddle-headed wombat. He is a dunce, but he's sweet. And there are, and like they have a treehouse story where they all cause problems <laughs> with one another. And at the end, they apologize the Wombat stories are very good, uh, because Wombat was deliberately written to be someone that even a child could feel smarter than, but also his his main thing is that he loses his temper. He's very emotional, and he does things he knows are wrong, because his feelings are very big. Mm. And I don't know any child who can't relate to that concept. Uh, and it's it's always very much about I mean, even when he does the bad things, he knows that they're bad. Uh, and he does them anyway because as as children, we are all compelled to just do the thing that our tantrum brain wants us to do. Yeah. And then, later, he apologizes and does something to make it right. Yeah, that's that's basically it. This is this podcast, which was supposedly about Winnie the Pooh, which is an, an American, uh, you know, using a British story to stamp his own identity on culture in general has now been hijacked and in true australian fashion we're committing an act of piracy you should go read the <laughs> muddle-headed wombat don't watch this movie it's boring and it's bad 
It's terrible. Yeah. So there's my grand thesis. Covert, covert wombat propaganda. Covert wombat. (laughs) I'm glad we were on the same page. (laughs) That was a delight. (laughs) You can see why I didn't want to tell you up front though. Because like, yo, behind the scenes, if this doesn't get cut, but behind the scenes, (laughs) we're getting ready to do the record with this sort of like breathless, like, I don't know, we're going to. Do we have enough of anything for this? This is terrible. And then, like, me going, I think I got something. And Fox just giving me this sort of, like, I trust you, but what? <laughs> Look. I want you to know that that card was only, like, the third one in my stack. Yeah. <laughs> this came up early. All right, then. I got mad at that bear real quick. <laughs> in which case, I guess it's now time to step into the Sully Fields of Waterland. Dang them some ugly toys. Oh yeah, there's some nightmare horrors there. I especially when the bear winks at the end. Ooh, I yeah. did not enjoy that no. part. Oh, there's I I understand they're supposed to look pre-loved and not, you know, perfectly pristine, but like Jesus, vintage toys are scary. Yeah. It's haunted doll watch stuff. Who's whose thing when they made up stories about their toys? Was to imagine that all your toys had ideas that were just completely stupid and you spent the whole time going, you're wrong, you're silly. I don't know. Then again, Christopher Robin is a British (sighs) child. Maybe he wanted to imagine himself in charge of the colonies. (laughs) I don't know. It just, it struck me as a, uh, maybe I'm the wrong person to ask because I never put myself into my toy fantasies anyway. I wasn't going to go, you know, storming castles or fighting dragons. That was for the toys to do. Fuck it. This movie wasn't trying that hard. Neither are we. (laughs) I will say, I guess, based on that. Um, one, one thing I do kind of like is the number of the stories that have the air of shit you made up to justify why your bear was covered in mud or was wet or why you ripped your donkey's tail off again or why your stuffed tiger was stuck in a tree. Yeah. Like they're all things that you could do with a toy and then make up excuses about. Yeah. So in that sense, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, what I would have liked then is to see some proof that Christopher Robin actually was taking his toys to the woods. Oh, you think maybe he never was. That That's the thing. Like, the Hundred Acre Wood isn't a... Like, I, I don't think of it as a material place. It's always been treated as, like, a dreamland kind of thing for me. But, you know. Yeah. Oh, okay. I assumed it was a fantasized version of, you know, this is my backyard. I imagine my backyard to be a hundred acres of beautiful woodland. That is, like, you know, obnoxious, like, on-the-nose levels of pastoral loveliness. Yeah, and don't get me wrong, it's entirely possible that A.A. Mill actually had that kind of upbringing, and Christopher Robin could have, because British middle-class people, but... Right, and Christopher Robin's based on a real child, right, so... Yeah, that's all super dark, and I don't know much about it, and don't care to. Is it? Okay. I thought it was just anodyne. No, uh, apparently the kid in question grew up as Chris grew up being publicly known as Christopher Robin and oh. was used in marketing and like Ugh. really wanted to avoid the whole thing. <laughs> Gross. I'm sorry. I even brought it up then. Yeah. My apologies, sir. We'll move on immediately. Um, there is an entire song about budging a stuck poo. <laughs> and they knew what they were fucking doing <laughs> at the point where there is a line that goes and the poo comes out. <laughs> they know what they're fucking doing. All the other songs in this, by the way, uh, read like... Actually, right at the end, the theory popped into my head that they may have intended this more to be, like, directly translatable to book on record uh, and or selling the soundtrack as a goddamn exercise tape because that's the vibe that these songs have, right? They're like romper room shit where every song is like, Hey, kid! Get up and dance around the room and touch your toes. And doesn't it feel good to touch your toes? And 
So this movie gets to live in a space very, very near home video release. This is 1977 and VHS and Laserdisc distribution would be starting in 1981. So this is almost there. And cassette tapes are a thing, right? Like yeah. We can get a get the soundtrack on a tape and play it at home. Yeah, but the music was all created by a pair of musical theatre producers called the Sherman Brothers, who made a bunch of other stuff that I have not bothered to look into too long. Bonus dog content. Oh, it's so cute how he's making himself cozy in that beanbag. Shame you guys can't see it. Yeah, it's actually quite cute. No sarcasm here. Nope. The, the the whole thing was constructed to be an album. It was sold as an ah, album. Got it. Uh, but yeah, I don't know if they, I don't know what order the cart and horse came there. <laughs> but I will say this movie did start production a long time before it got released because, you know, Disney was working on it and he'd been dead for 10 years. It's true. It's true. But, uh, you know, by the same token, they've done this with records before as well. So could still fly. Yeah, it could be. Um, oh yes, and of course one of the songs is so blatantly We Have Pink Elephants at it Home. It is, isn't it? <laughs> I just had to laugh out loud. Yeah! Ah, uh, yeah, it's it's the, this is the edgeless version of Pink Elephants. Yeah. Like, still kind of nightmare but not in such a deeply satisfying way. I I liked that of all the different evil traits of the Wuzzles and Heffalumps that were outlined, one of them was insincere. I did enjoy that. <laughs> that's some that's some good storybook bullshit. <laughs> Talk about uh, words picked for a rhyme. <laughs> and I'm okay with that. Nothing wrong with that. That's how songs work. Um, I liked the scene in Owl's house where we first see him during the storm and he's in a rocking chair. <laughs> but the background is doing most of the rocking. Yeah. That was just a cute bit. Nice juxtaposition. A plus three seconds in this 70 minute movie. There's a similar beat when uh, the house comes down, where they clearly just grab the background and went, shake, 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 boom. <laughs> yeah, there's a sort of like puppet show quality to that. I'm a sucker for it. <laughs> uh, I did find myself wondering in the uh, Tigger introduction scene with the Heffalumps bit. If the pop gun was there in the original, <laughs> like mm. if there is an equivalent of this story, did it in fact also have a gun? Or was that just Disney finding a way to put guns into England stuff again? Alas, I do not know. We do not know. We may never know. And we do not care. But it certainly made me raise an eyebrow. And uh, that's that's all I got. This movie is so boring, I got distracted watching my pizza tracker. Mm-hmm. So. And now that that's all behind us... It's time to grow up and move away from childish things, which of course means entering the world of capitalism. Talon, would you like to do the honors again? No. No? We don't have the information. We don't? <laughs> How do we not have <laughs> I checked all the normal sources I use. There is no online source that I can find that's credible that gives me a budget for this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Which kind of makes sense in the case of a movie that started, like, 20 years before. Yeah. Like, how do you handle the budget for something where a lot of stuff got put on a shelf? Um, but the other thing is, uh, Box Office Mojo does not have the uh, box office returns for this movie. Wow. Which is especially wild, because it was part of a double feature yeah. that was very successful. The other movie was a live-action Disney thing. But I, I could not tell you <laughs> a goddamn thing about how this movie did commercially. Wow. 
I can tell you that it obviously blew the doors off in the home theater market. And we started, this is the first Disney movie to have like in the template on Wikipedia, a giant chunk dedicated to the home market. But really the first. Yeah. Well, Snow White has a section, but it's under like production and stuff. Like this is the new template they're going to be using for the movies going forward because that's the information that's available. Ah, okay. Um, it's really interesting, actually. The The budgets of the movies tend to only get mentioned as brags, and that probably implies this movie was either hard to quantify the budget for, like I said, or it didn't do particularly well. But, like, also, they released another movie in the same year, so they can't have been doing too badly. Uh, third possibility, the studio didn't release budget. Yeah. Because if they decide that they don't want to share that, then good mm-hmm. luck. Exactly. Uh, and now we know uh, there, there are, in fact, print sources that have uh, credible sources attached to them uh, that have actually said, like, we're not going to give you exact numbers and I'm not going to give you a print roll sheet, but I will give you a ballpark for the budget for these things. But those print sources are material, physical copies of books, and I don't have them. And funnily enough, that's not the stuff that's getting spicily uploaded to the uh, <laughs> your library website around me. And also, God, are we going to try that hard for many adventures of Winnie the Pooh? No. Because I'm not. No. No. The good news is that on the other side of Winnie the Pooh, there is a, like, genuinely fun movie. I mean, it's not one of my favorites, but... I think reasonably well of this one, if only because of its sequel. (laughs) I think of it a lot better than I think of Winnie the Pooh, I'll tell you that. Like, at least there's gonna be some stakes. Yeah, like, I, I know I said this earlier, but... When we, when we were finished in season one with the bundled movies, we did have the general attitude that things only get better from here. Uh, with the, like, I, th- I think it was the first of the bundled movies, which you said, this is as bad <laughs> as it gets. And I, I do stand by that with a, a slight, you know, time shift. I, I think I decided Melody Time might be the worst. Yeah, they're pretty dire. I'm trying to remember. Anyway, yeah. I, I still don't think this is worse than what we got during that era. Mm-hmm. Ah, uh, but boy, was it not fun. Boy, no. am I not going to watch this again. Bonus, if we wanted to be really authoritative about this, there are two or three versions of this movie we should be looking at. Really? Yeah, there's an extra short on the version that was released the year we were born. Uh, and there's a version of it that's missing one of the features for time. But I'm not going to go looking. Oh, not like more of the Winnie the Pooh stuff. Yeah, this particular movie has... Two other versions, one of which is a little longer and one of which is a little shorter. I am kind of fascinated to know what they cut, I've got to admit. I don't know. Fascinated enough to watch it again? Hell no. No, no. But I do want to look it up now. Yeah. On the other hand, uh, I'm not going to make the listener wait for that, so I guess this means we're done. Yeah, what movie's next? Ah, The Rescuers is next. Yes, indeed it is. Yeah, let's let's go. I liked it when the movies had stories. Let's go back to that. Yeah. Well, just, just one story. Maybe with some side plots, but just one story that starts at the start of the movie and, and finishes at the end of the movie. Yeah. I think that'll be good. What a wank. <laughs> Oof, man. They'll, they'll just sell shit to kids, won't they? 